0: I would say being honest and shooting straight. And mm-hmm. I think that always will serve you well. I mean, mm-hmm. we just had this conversation in the office today about you know a topic, and at the end of the day, if you're a straight shooter and um, consider it, you're gonna always end up on top.
1: Hi, my name is Ellie Cody, and this is Manhattan Sideways. For today's episode, we spoke with Pauline, the owner at Lillipi on 14th Street. Here's what Betsy Polivy, founder of Manhattan Sideways, had to say about this business.
2: Pauline thinks that maybe she's not really a household name, but she's okay with that. But in my household, she is the name, Lillipi. I have owned and enjoyed wearing her clothing for almost 20 years now. So imagine the excitement when I was walking on 14th Street and lo and behold, She had her own brick-and-mortar. It's the only store retail business that she has in the country, but she does have her clothing in over a thousand specialty stores across the U.S. and in other parts of the world. And she is a delightful Southern woman who I just truly enjoy spending time with.
0: My name is Pauline Nakios, and I have a business called P and we're based here in New York City. And what kind of business is P? We are women's clothing line. Uh, I started it in 1998 when I lived in Atlanta, Georgia and moved here in 2001. And, uh, and it's geared towards uh, a very modern woman, very comfortable. It's uh, just casual, easy dressing. What did you have in mind when you started designing? You know, it's interesting because I had worked in retail all through college and the little, do you remember when the little t-shirts that were fitted, we went from kind of the fraternity big Haynes t-shirts to these feminine little t-shirts? Yes. Um, when that came on the market, uh, I had worked in a clothing store and fast forward, I graduated, moved to Atlanta and it just fell in my lap. I decided I was going to try it and... Um, The collection has really grown from the basic tea.
1: Okay, cool. And do you still sell that basic tea that Um, you started out with? A very close version of it. And it's still one of our top sellers. It's incredible. And where do you sell your products? Well, we have our own
0: store located on 14th Street. And of course, um, we have our own website and we are primarily wholesale. Uh, So we sell to about a thousand specialty stores across the U.S., Canada, and a few international accounts as well. And then we have some big online partners as well, such as um, uh, Anthropology and Zappos and Garnet Hill, some really nice partnerships.
1: And did you start out primarily as a wholesale company, or did you start out with a brick and mortar shop? It definitely started wholesale. Mm -hmm. So um,
0: interesting enough, I come from a retail family background. It was furniture, not clothing. Um, And... That was just the model that I knew. And I think back in 98 when I started, you know, there was no internet. um, Or if it was, we didn't shop on it at the time. Um, And that was just the norm. You know, people would produce a line. They'd sell to the wholesale accounts and then to the end user.
1: Okay. And how did you end up in New York? Well, that's a funny story.
0: Uh, When I was living in Atlanta, I was working in retail at the time. I was working at Hermes. And this really nice gentleman came in very handsome. Uh, I sold him ties. And then 10 months later, I found myself signing a lease in New York City. Fast forward, he is my business partner, my husband, and father of my children.
1: Wow. Yeah. How many kids do you have?
0: We have two boys, nine and 12. Almost 13. I have a teenager. (gasps) I know. Oh my God. It's terrifying
1: (laughs) in so many ways. How soon after moving to New York with him did you open your shop?
0: Uh, Well, I moved here in 2001. And we were living in Chelsea at the time, and then we moved a little further south to the Meatpacking District, and this was 2002. Uh, and at that time, uh, it was a live work. It was with some really interesting people in the building. Um, and when the Meatpacking District, you know, in those days, it truly was a Meatpacking District. Mm-hmm. So the space where my shop is now uh, was a little small office. It was a, um, a distribution office. And uh, it's also why I have become a vegetarian a few times, things I had seen that I did not need to see. Um, But that is where the store is now. It's a very small space, um, but in New York City, it's enough. Sometimes I wish we had a little bit more, but what's so nice is our retail store above it is our showroom. So we have the third floor of the building. um, And at that time, we actually lived in the building, so you know. I think back of my grandfather who came from Poland, and he'd be so proud. Is that true Eastern European? You live over the shop, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And
0: um, but we did not open the store until 2012, um, when the meatpacking district, as you know, really started to change, and people mm-hmm. were moving out, and the neighborhood is, as everybody that's visited New York knows, it really. While there is some element left of the business, meatpacking business, it, it's really retail, it's nightlife, it's restaurants. Mm-hmm. And um, in 2012, we, we opened the store, and the neighborhood even then was quite different than it is now. Um, but it's been a great way to get the brand out there. Um, it allows us a chance to uh, interact with that end user that selling to wholesale, we don't always get to do. Mm-hmm. So it's it's wonderful for me as a business owner to have that exposure and have that feedback from, from end users.
1: Do you still feel like meatpacking is the right Place to have your brick and mortar.
0: You know, I think it's right uh, for us right now um, because of the proximity to the rest of my life. I mean, we now live a block away, Um, but we have the wholesale and the retail all in one place. I do think the neighborhood. It's interesting to see. My husband's actually the uh, treasurer of the Meatpacking District bid, so we really are very invested in the neighborhood, Um, and I do think it's coming around again. You know, it's its second second time here and so many things actually ironically Hermes is opening on Gansbord Street which is it all comes full circle. I love that. I know, right? Um, it's going to be dangerous for me, though. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm going to have to walk the and other way. And maybe your husband. Mm-hmm. And my All husband. All those ties. Exactly, exactly. Um, but it's an interesting, I mean, as everywhere in New York, it's an ever-changing landscape. Um, I would love to open additional stores. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody in New York, if, if you're from here, you know everybody is very neighborhood-centric. So being so far west, we really do cater to that, uh, To A, the tourist customer, which mm-hmm. is primarily really who we see in that neighborhood, Mm -hmm. um, and really trying to gain access to the local clientele in the West Village and Tribeca. Mm -hmm. Being so far west, we really, we don't get a lot of traffic from the Far East side. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Can you tell me more about how you relate to your customers and who they are?
0: Yes. And this is interesting because that too is ever-changing. And I think being in the business, as long as I have, I have a lot of customers who, you know, have worn P from the get-go. So they're now 20 years older. (laughs) You know, But we also really want to get the next generation coming up. And our clothing really is timeless. It's all how it's styled. Uh, I always use the analogy of my niece who's 25 and my mother at 84. Um, and I can cover them both and everyone in between. Mm-hmm. So really, I think the customer is someone who knows quality, um, wants something timeless, wants to invest in really beautiful cotton pieces or we're actually expanded into cashmere and so forth now, so it's a full collection, but it's timeless. It's not something you're going to wear you know, for one season.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm curious what some of your most popular items are in New York.
0: In New York, I would say, and again, you have to remember that a lot of the customers that come through our store are not necessarily from New York, right? Um, and it's interesting because what the store's top selling items are usually does go hand in hand from my wholesale aspect. Um, we always sell. we have a fabric called uh flamé modal. Flamé is just the slub yarn and the modale gives it the drape. And we do pieces that have these really interesting rib bottom trims that are raw edged. So it's a t-shirt, but it's not your basic tee. And that, hands down, always if we run a report, it's going to be in the top five styles for the season. So every season we will always have a new version of that thing. Uh, Sometimes we repeat things exact, but oftentimes it'll be a variation of a top seller.
1: Are you the only person designing your clothes?
0: No, I cannot give myself credit. Um, I do the overall creative design, but we have a design team um, for sweaters, cut and sew. We have a production team, a technical team, Um, but it's it's a true collaboration. Mm -hmm. And then I also bring my sales team in and my sales reps across the country because just Because I like it doesn't mean it's going to sell. And oftentimes I've had to realize usually if I love it, it won't sell. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really have to pay attention to while I do want to have things on the line that express my personal style, it's so important from a business standpoint to have on the line what's going to translate and produce and resonate with the mass public.
1: How wrapped up in the fashion world are you? Do you have other friends in the fashion world, social events in the fashion world? You know, it's interesting. I really could
0: almost take a pie chart and carve my life up. And um, I definitely have amazing friends that I have met through the industry. And it's wonderful to have people that share um, so much in common because we can get together on a Friday night and talk business all night long. Um, but then I have, you know, as you have children, you have your mom friends and the families you meet through the children. And then, you know, just people that you meet outside of outside of work. But it definitely is a a uh, a community for sure, and it's a great one. It really is.
1: I've I've heard from some that it can be a hard community to break into. Did you find that? Uh, you know, I think
0: probably in that true designer world, it can be very tricky. I think in my end, and mm-hmm. you know, where P is as far as a business, um, it, it's not as uh, difficult. You know, it's 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 not as high pressure.
1: That's nice. What do you look for in your employees and the folks helping you with your business? Well,
0: again, because we are a small team, um, it's 20 of us uh, in New York, you know, we ha- it has to be, we spend more time at work than we do at home. So there has to be a cohesive uh, feeling in the office um, while still allowing everybody to express themselves and have their personalities. I expect people to be driven, hardworking, committed, and um, I think we provide a really unusual um, environment, uh, especially in my industry. We have a beautiful showroom, and we want people to be happy when they walk in. I, I need to know that when, while at the end of the day, it's a job, I have to know that when everybody walks through my door in the morning, that they're glad to be there and they're ready to work. Mm-hmm. And everybody believes in the product. They, we respect each other. They respect Thomas and myself. And it's mutual, and I respect them and appreciate their hard work as well.
1: I'm wondering also where your clothing is
0: produced. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's interesting. I'm actually leaving for India on Saturday night, going for a quick three-day stint to look at fabrics and meet with uh, some of the suppliers. But that's the newest uh, country um, that we're manufacturing in. They've just been able to add an element that we did not have on the line before. It's that really beautiful um, embroidery or... Trims and it's that soft, yummy cottons. They're voils. They're known for their voils. And um, so that is one. Um, Primarily, all the cut and sew, the T-shirts, which I started the company on, those are done in Peru. Uh, Peru is known for their high-quality Pima cotton. It's the finest cotton, long staple, um, beautiful. And um, so I would say a big portion of the line is still done in Peru. And then sweaters are done in China. Um, We do use some Italian yarns when we can, um, but the production is done um, in the east.
1: How do you oversee the quality of the work from so far away?
0: Well, we are sticklers for quality, and um, I think that's also where our reputation comes in and why we've lasted as long as we have, because we're known for consistency and quality, and nothing leaves our factories without someone uh, from a QC department. Uh, whether We have someone on the ground in Peru, and then we have outside agencies in other countries that inspect all the garments.
1: Okay. Um, and I'm also wondering, on the other side, how do you ensure that the workers making your clothes are getting a fair wage?
0: Yes, that has definitely been an interesting thing that I've seen throughout the last decade, especially um, wages in China um, have gone up tremendously, which is wonderful because they should, um, and I'm all for that, absolutely. Um, and we're careful that we know exactly who we're working with. That um, there's, you know, there there can be a lot of. Um, unfortunate situations in factories. And I do believe that there are cracking down on that. And it's just up to um, us as business owners to make sure that we know exactly who we're working with. Mm
1: So I would like to go back to some of the technicalities of how you found the space that you're in, and then how you went about signing a lease and mm-hmm. designing the space and all of those little details.
0: And you're talking about for the wholesale, for the showroom, or the for your showroom? Okay. Yeah, right. uh, so for the showroom, this this was an actual. Um, it's really unusual because we, at that point, had lived in the building, um, and we had a, rented a little small studio on the corner of Washington and. Washington and Jane, I believe mm-hmm. it was. I think that's mm-hmm. how long ago it's been. I don't even remember. Um, but we quickly, right when we got into that space, we learned that a space in our building had become available. So we grabbed it, and um, we've just taken over the entire floor since then. And this was back in 2002. So we moved down to the meatpacking district in 02. And um, we just, I feel like we got very lucky. We have a really um, you know great landlord who's worked with us over the years and allowed us to do these expansions and put things like central air in wow now you know i my employees love working there <laughs> yeah. um but it's it's been wonderful and it's just been great to be somewhere outside of the garment center um, i know a lot of my friends are envious that we are not in the garment center mm-hmm. and it's fun because even where we are so we again we came down in 02 and then at that time jeffrey who's uh, of course was a pioneer in the neighborhood, ironically, is from Charleston, where I'm from. Um, same street. Parents are best friends. Uh, so you have two Charlestonians on 14th Street, which is really unusual. But, you know, he definitely can be credited for, for pioneering this neighborhood in retail, and high-end retail. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the neighborhood has, you know, definitely come, come full circle. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Once you found that space... Did you how did you go about the other little steps that it takes to, you know, really start ramping up or like even even before that? So mm-hmm. I know that you started wholesale before. How did you mm-hmm. find your partners and your the, you know, outsourcing your labor? What does that look like? Yeah,
0: I have to tell you, it's really interesting because the production side to me is the most challenging part. The sales part, I think it's I'm born with it. It's a natural thing for me. Um, but when I moved to New York, I had a little desk in my Chelsea apartment, and that it was just me. Um, and ironically, my I knew from a wholesale standpoint, I needed to find sales reps in these different territories across the country. So a lot of um, a lot of the main cities have apparel markets, such as Dallas, Atlanta, Los Angeles, and. I met someone on a safari in Zimbabwe in 1998. Some reason I kept his card. He had a sweater company. And when I moved to New York, I was so nervous, but I picked up the phone and I called him. I said, do you remember me? You know, could I come up? Can I pick your brain? And that took everything. I mean, coming from the South, we're just not, it's not ingrained in us to push. And um, I went up and that was really how I found my first two sales reps. And it just snowballed from there. And it so proves it's so, you know, and maximize your contacts, ask. Worst they can say is no. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it was wonderful because it was a yes. So from a sales aspect, it blossomed from there. And once you start in one territory, they're going to introduce you to somebody else. And having always loved fashion and shopping, um, you know, I knew kind of the stores that I wanted to go after first. And having lived in Atlanta before I moved to New York, that was a natural area. And the Southeast just happens to be... um, a really strong territory for us because the climate is right for our product. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just a lot of really good stores mm-hmm. in, the, in the Southeast. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really starting with who you know, what you know, and then asking and filling in the blanks of things that you don't know. Um, now the production side, that's, that's interesting as well because my first, right at first, I used a domestic supplier and I wish I could do things domestic and we're trying. Um, but as everybody knows, that's getting harder and harder. And um, I will stay, still say that for the price, the quality um, is still superior from what I'm getting um, elsewhere right now. Um,
1: In the United States,
0: uh, outside outside of the yeah. United States. I mean, we we're tr- you know I'd love to be able you know again I'd love to be able to do some things domestic, yeah. but it's got to be the right quality yeah. and the right price. Um, you know, we have a certain threshold where I know people will go. Um, But again, that production side, you know, is definitely the hardest part. Um, We did initially uh, produce domestic, and then through a connection, again, connections, it's all about connections. Um, My husband has dear friends in South Africa, and one of his friends worked for the Department of Trade and Industry. They had a duty-free agreement with the U.S. We started producing in South Africa. And we love going to visit. I mean, that was a huge plus. But their currency is so volatile. And we made it work as long as we could. Um, Mm -hmm. But it it was clear that that was tricky. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a way to get my husband to go shopping with me, I'm like, let's go shopping. Let's look and see where things are made. I mean, that was my total drive of getting him to come (laughs) with me. But we started noticing that a lot of these gorgeous, beautiful, fine, thin T-shirts that were so popular at the time, made in Peru, made in Peru, made in Peru. Um, so really just researching that we ended up at a trade show there and, you know, met a couple of factories. Most of them are no longer in business, but again, you just, once you're in that country, you meet, you ask, you, you find out, um, that that's definitely the, the hard part.
1: Mm-hmm. When you go to those countries, do you have a translator?
0: Uh, We, in Peru, we have someone that has been working with us from the very beginning that really serves as our quality control slash agent. Um, And everybody speaks English, not well in my Spanish, clearly, you know, is not good. Um, we do have someone on our production team that, um, luckily speaks Spanish. So that's a huge plus. Mm -hmm. And I haven't been to Peru in many, many years. So now that the team has grown, um, it's really the production team that goes over there. Um, I happen to be going to India because, uh, what I'm finding there is so inspiring and I know I'm looking for, and you know, that creative side just is driven by, um, Fabrics that I find, people that I meet, and you know, we have a lot of new people on our team there, so I, I want to meet everybody.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you have anything big in store for Lillipi in the next...
0: Yes, we do, actually. Yeah. and This all happened in the last couple of weeks. Um, two things, actually. Well, one happened a few months ago. We launched a small uh, kids capsule called LP Generation. Um, it is direct-to-consumer only, so it's on our website. Uh, my boys again are nine and twelve and I found that I could not find a cool simple tea for them and they're picky mm-hmm. they take after the mother um, but we st- it's a it's non-gender um, just basic short sleeve long sleeve um, and a couple pieces of um, French terry, so a sweatshirt and a hoodie. Super cute, and they wear it literally every day. Unfortunately, my 13-year-old has now outgrown it, so
1: now we have to do men's, right? Yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, But the new thing, we did a survey monkey last year, and that was eye-opening. So we sent it out, and in the first night, I think almost 1,000 people answered the survey. I don't know if you ever get a survey, and you're like, who in the world answers these, right? Um, Please do, because it's so helpful. But when we asked people what else they'd like to see from Lillipi, it was such an incredible response to sleepwear. And I think it's because our product is so soft. It's one of the things that we're known for is the softness. So next holiday time, which to me is October, our delivery, I say holiday, it's October delivery, in stores for holiday shopping, uh, we will have a capsule of sleepwear.
1: Wow, that's exciting. Betsy will be really excited. Betsy has worn out some of her t-shirts so much because she's had them for a long time. She's a good model for it. And um, so she wears them as pajamas now.
0: That's a good thing. Yeah, you'll
1: need to, that'll be my Christmas present for Betsy.
0: There you go. (laughs) Done.
1: Done. Pauline, can you tell me why t-shirts always get holes right around the belly button area? an interesting question. I was interviewed for um, an
0: article from Real Simple Magazine. This is many years ago, Um, but it was about the perfect white tee. And the editor said to me, why do t-shirts get holes around the belly button? And the reason is, and not everybody gets them. It's funny. Some of the girls that work for me, they're like, never had holes. Um, The more fitted pieces I find, and it's always right around the button of the jean. So the finer tees are You know, to get that beautiful, thin, wispy cotton that you love, it's this very fine cotton size. So the actual yarn size is much smaller. So, therefore, it's going to be more delicate. Just like a cashmere sweater, your very fine 16 gauge cashmere, it's going to be more delicate than something chunky. Um, We have a classic collection that's a heavier cotton that never has an issue. Um, So, you have to kind of weigh, unfortunately, you know, when we go to wash our hands at the counter, you're leaning up against. The button area of your jean. And I always joke, I kind of want to start and create a little button cover for your jeans because I think it would solve the problem. I really do. I think
1: you should do that. I know,
0: <laughs> but it's unfortunate because I know people invest in a nice expensive tee and they want yeah. it to last. And I think if you're careful, um, but unfortunately the finer cottons will eventually, not always, but sometimes they can be prone to mm-hmm. holes.
1: So you mentioned that you partner with Anthropology, for example, and other big companies. When they sell your products, does it say Liliputi on the tag, or do they use other names?
0: Uh, we it can be both. Um, it's all um, how that particular order and style pans out. We love when they bring our name in because I think it's a wonderful. Um, synergy with our brand now there are times where they want it with their they have several labels that they own and um and we're happy to do that too and they come to us because they like the product and you know many times if they're buying heavy volume they're going to get a better price and then therefore it affects the retail price okay sometimes we've been able to develop products specifically we're working with a new store now um i won't mention names um But we had an appointment last week and they're so excited about my trip to India. So I'm literally personal shopping the fabric suppliers for their needs.
1: That's incredible. So we'll
0: see what happens.
1: Very exciting. Yeah. How does the Highline and the Whitney and all of the new things popping up in the Meatpacking District affect traffic around your showroom? Uh, It's been really
0: great, uh, especially for the retail store. Um, What's so nice too, and we love a tourist because if somebody comes in you know, from North Carolina, from Texas, from California, they perhaps have not heard of the brand. They're going to go back to their local boutiques and say, you know what, I went into this great store in the meatpacking district and uh, we think you should carry this brand. Mm -hmm. So the benefits are wonderful to have a store where it's uh, really a tourist customer. And Mm -hmm. then also the inventory is fresh every day, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Um, especially because we carry our own brand. We do carry accessories um, to Complement the, the clothing, um, jewelry and scarves and so forth, but all the clothing is uh, Lillipede.
1: Okay. And the accessories are from other designers?
0: Yes. So that's fun too, because we get to kind of um, shop the markets. You know, when we're exhibiting at the trade shows, we're also shopping the trade shows. We'd love to confuse everybody because we have this exhibitor <laughs> badge and then we also have a retail side. Um, but that's been fun too, because it's something we don't do. So we get to buy Um, and really research the trends there. Mm
1: -hmm. And recently there was a lot of construction being done on 14th Street. How did that affect you, especially considering that it's such a tourist, Mm -hmm. busy area?
0: The construction, I'm not going to lie, was not wonderful for business. Uh, We knew it needed to be done. You know, it started years ago. Uh, They were replacing the water lines from the turn of the century. Obviously it had to be done. And I'm also a resident of the neighborhood, so I knew it needed to be done but it has been longer than we thought. But as of the end of November, it's gone, at least on 14th Street, new cobblestones. They reused the ones they could and supplemented new where they needed to, but it looks beautiful. Um, And there's a lot of uh, new stores hopefully coming in soon. So I think there'll be this just whole new breath of air uh, throughout the neighborhood.
1: How did you handle the the construction? Did you put out signs so that people could see oh, you more
0: easily? You know, it's really tricky because also signage they're so strict yeah. um, all around New York, but especially in our neighborhood, uh, really strict about that. Um, but that's where social media, word of mouth, um, you know, again, it, it it was definitely tricky, but we're thrilled that uh, it's gone, mm-hmm. and the result is beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm. And how about Hudson Yards thoughts?
0: You know, it's still, you know, New Yorkers, anything above 23rd Street really north. Um, so I think it's exciting. Um, we're really downtown. We're excited about the, the building on the piers. I think that's going to be really interesting to, to see what happens. And it's going to bring tons of business and traffic. And then Google is you know, expanding tremendously. Um, so it's nice to have those big companies in our neighborhood. And hopefully, um, you know, the meatpacking district is so supportive of the businesses and the retail. And again, my husband's on the board, so we're quite invested. But Mm -hmm. they're supportive of us, and we're supportive of them. And, you know, in a big city like New York, having a neighborhood feel is really priceless.
1: Mm -hmm. I want to come back to that, but I also would love to jump back and hear more about your social media presence.
0: Sure. Uh, And that's something, having a business for 20 years, you know, that was not even a term. (laughs) used. Uh, And we've put a lot of uh, effort and energy into social media in the last couple of years because it is so important. We moved from traditional PR that used to really move the needle for us um, to a more uh, social media aspect. Our recent hires are in the digital space. Uh, We're getting ready. Oh, the other big news, we're getting ready uh, in less than a week to relaunch our website. It's a brand new website. It's been a huge undertaking but we have found that 70% of people on our site are on mobile, and our site was not easy to use mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody will have to go check out the new design. It's beautiful, modern, looks great. Um, but from a social media standpoint, we have someone in-house that teams up with our marketing director, so their calendar is truly in sync. Um, and even social media in the last couple of years has changed tremendously. And what people are wanting, You know, Instagram is still um, a huge driver for us, Facebook as well. It's a different demographic, um, and we cater to both. But you know, we also work with influencers. And influencers, mm-hmm. um, we're trying to find really where that is converting. Um, you know, one year we might have done a ton of paid placements and partnerships with people, and they don't always convert. But we have found that the right partnership definitely converts, and it's also wonderful for the brand. Mm-hmm. So I think it's about really creating a good strategy. And making sure that you're not just throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks. It's got to mm-hmm. be well thought out. And the biggest thing in social today is people wanting um, a very organic interaction with the brand. You know, it's gone are the days where they want to see this beautiful, curated Instagram feed. They want to see real. And that's where Instagram stories came about as well. So they're getting that real behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. They might see some photos from today. Oh. Um but that's, that's what P, I think that's what the end user wants. And that could change next year,
1: you never know. We've heard recently from a couple of our business owners that we've spoken to that the Instagram influencers, in other words, the people who just go around and have a lot of followers and choose essentially who they want to promote by just posting pictures and tagging, have made huge impacts on sales and popularity. Have you noticed that? You know,
0: people that have influencers that have a big following and an engaged following, because there's two different things. You can be big and you have to be engaged. Um, If they, for example, go to their favorite coffee shop and simply tag it without the coffee shop, you know, paying them to do it, that is the natural, organic, amazing, lucky growth. Um, And uh, we definitely have some people who continue to hashtag Lillipede that aren't necessarily Being given product, which now, as you know, it has to say sponsored, ad, or gifted by, et cetera. Um, But again, it's the natural, that true relationship with the brand and the Mm -hmm. influencer is where you're going to see success.
1: Mm -hmm. How do you think that pop-up shops have changed the industry?
0: I think it's an amazing idea. In fact, on the corner of 14th Street right now is a beautiful Christian Dior pop-up. I don't know, it doesn't even look like it looks permanent, but it truly is a pop-up. But it allows companies to test markets, and uh, that definitely uh, would be something that we are interested in. It's just a matter of implementing it, is, and also being sensitive to all of our wholesale accounts. So you have to be careful that you're not intruding in an area that's not necessarily one that needs more distribution. But uh, there are certain areas in the country where I think a p pop-up store would be amazing Mm -hmm. Um, and I think what happens a lot of times is if it's working then you end up it goes it becomes a permanent space but I love the idea of a pop-up again you know knowing that it's not forever it creates this demand and this this interest and people are looking for experiences and whether that's some experience they're looking for but it's just going to something that may not be there a month from now.
1: That's a huge thing that we've heard from a lot of business owners is how to market an experience over a product. Right. Or at least associating, I mean, really, ultimately, you have to associate an experience or a lifestyle with the product. Right. Would you consider ever doing a collaboration line?
0: You know, I would love to. And we talk about this even with social media today, there's so much of a focus on partnerships and collaborations. And it would definitely have to be the right one. Clearly, I don't think it makes sense to do it with another clothing brand, mm-hmm. um, but perhaps an accessory line. Mm-hmm. And I have a true passion for anything that is, um, you know, products such as candles and lotions and delicious scents and so forth. That would be something neat. It's just how the two would ever merge together. Yeah. Yeah
1: is the tricky part, I think. I know. Yeah.
0: It's got to be the right one. There's so many, you know, You, I'm sure you've seen many partnerships and yeah. collaborations where like, what on earth do the two businesses have in right. common? Right. You know? Right. But when you find one that works, it's, it's really, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm definitely open to those. And I think it's always a new way to look at your business.
1: So now I would like to go back and hear some more about meat packing as a neighborhood and the community feel there. Could you tell me about that?
0: Sure. And I think I have a really different take on it because we live in the neighborhood and we've lived in the neighborhood since '02. My life literally revolves within like a 10 block radius. My children are in school down in the West Village. Um, so I don't even own a metro car, which is terrifying. So a neighborhood is very important to me. Therefore, I choose to be involved with the meatpacking district. And I think what you put in is what you get out. Mm-hmm. We have some wonderful, you know, small privately owned coffee shops, and I'd love to support them when I can. Then we also have the you know, brand new huge Starbucks, which I've not yet been to. I hear it's gigantic. That's
1: what I've heard, too.
0: Maybe I'll walk in on my way home today. Yeah. <laughs> i have to go
1: check it out. Could you talk a little bit more about Jeffrey's?
0: Absolutely. I mean, there's so many reasons I'd love to talk about, A, because family, friends, both from Charleston, and B, the fact that I can really confidently say and credit him for The popularity of the meatpacking district and its regentrification. I remember when it was the late '90s, and um, his father had said to my father, "You know, Jeffrey, I don't." He and Morris had this amazing accent. He's like, "I, I just don't know." You know, he 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 signed this lease in the meatpacking district. I mean, there's blood on the streets and. But he had a vision and he was right. And it's this amazing mini department store, super high end. I mean, when Saturday Night Live has a spoof on you, you know, you've made it, you know, (laughs) it's pretty huge. And he also, you know, he has a store in Atlanta and his father had a Mm -hmm. store, um, a a wonderful shoe store in Charleston that's no longer there, but um, it's, it's still a huge uh, part of, of the neighborhood.
1: Mm-hmm. What are your hopes for the neighborhood in the coming years?
0: We have been, uh, we opened our store in 2012. And, you know, like I'd mentioned, we've been um, in the neighborhood from a wholesale standpoint since 02. And I always love to say that Diane Van Furstenberg um, followed me here and Andrew Rosen from Theory. <laughs> but clearly they didn't follow me. But I was so thrilled when they really took a stake in the neighborhood. You know, they're a huge part of the neighborhood and they're there to stay. Yeah. So,
1: those definitely
0: yeah. draw draw people. For sure, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, where where do you see meatpacking going, or where do you hope meatpacking will go in the next few years?
0: You know, as I mentioned, all the neighborhoods they go through these cycles. Um, it was so fun to see the meatpacking district go from clubs and true meatpacking companies, plants, and bagel shops, and Florent. I do miss Florent. Um, it went there from there to super high end, and then the super high end moved out to Madison and Soho and so forth, and then we got uh, kind of medium price point retail, um, and it's interesting right now because I look at down my street, and it's almost like Athletic Row. It's mm-hmm. Lululemon and Patagonia and Asics, which is great and fine, but I do hope that their um, uh, rent allows, or there's some reset in rent that allows some more independent stores because that's what I miss about New York in general, and I think that's mm-hmm. big cities is uh, the more expensive rent, the true independent mom and pop stores that mm-hmm. built these cities can't afford to be there. So I hope that there is some element, even if someone, I mean, if, if in my free time, um, but I would love to do almost a, um, a mini Chelsea market concept, but for apparel would be really interesting to give these small designers an opportunity to rent a small space within a big space that, that could be interesting. So if anybody's looking for a business, go for it.
1: That's a really good idea. I know Chelsea Market has the one space for pop-ups, which Mm -hmm. changes every few weeks, every couple months, however, even every couple days sometimes. And that has seemed to do really well. So I would bet that that would would be a great thing to have down there.
0: Yeah, the fun thing about um, uh, that space in Chelsea Market, there's a guy who's super nice and he has uh, that space a certain amount of times a year. He has a lease on it. Throughout the year, and it's a sample sale, and we've connected with him. So periodically, there'll be Liliputi product ah, in there, and we do our own sample sales a couple times a year, which are mayhem. I don't know if I don't know if Betsy's been to our sample sale. <gasps> you have to follow us on social media, so you'll know about it. <laughs> it's it's a true sample. You know, so many sample sales today. And I remember when I moved to New York, I spent it was like a part time job. I went from sample because we didn't have this in Atlanta. And you really don't have it anywhere else, but maybe LA, but I would go from sample sale. I would stand in line for hours. And this is, I'm going to date myself, but it was the diesel denim. And I remember standing in line to get in for an hour and a half. Um, But I really, I made it like a part-time job. Mm -hmm. And uh, so our sample sale is a true sample sale. I mean, it is, we do bring in some stock and sizes, but samples, there's a lot of one-offs that you'll never see anywhere else because they... It was a fit sample. It was a random color that they just used um, available fabric or it's a style that maybe didn't make it all the way, but it still is great. Mm -hmm. Um, But if anybody's ever in New York when we do our sample sale, it is fun. And I've met some amazing people for built relationships with people. I know who's going to be there the first morning.
1: I love that. And I'm there. (laughs) You know, I don't have
0: to be there, but I love it. Yeah. Again, I get to see the product on real people. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. That made me remember that I wanted to ask what, some of your, who some of your um, inspirational designers have been over the years?
2: Ooh.
0: you know, it's so hard because I think um, my personal taste might be different than the majority of my end users. Not that it's better in any means, but I have a very clean aesthetic mm-hmm. that definitely translates into the brand. Um, but, you know, I walked by uh, the window at Vince the other day. and I'm like, it looks really good. It's just pleasing to the eye. There's not a lot of print. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as the avant-garde, Rick Owens, I think is amazing. Um, you know, lots of twists and turns and architectural um, elements. And I studied interior design. I thought I was going to be an architect for many years. So I definitely have that, that, um, that love for architectural shapes. Um, and one of my recent trips the last couple of years, my husband and I went to Scandinavia and I that was my place. I mean I from a design element both interior and fashion it was spot on. So therefore, you know, the beauty of Instagram is I follow so many of the influencers from Stockholm and Copenhagen mm-hmm. and the taste their taste level is amazing.
1: I lived in Copenhagen for 5 months and I have to tell you my wallet took a hit. It's that's and also so like that and I also so I also love architecture um, and it, it does tend to line up those styles but oh it's gorgeous it's though. It's so gorgeous yeah. but you know some of those some of those um, brands are really expensive and um, and Copenhagen itself is expensive so yeah. I was
0: Well, you know it's interesting too as far as a fashion um, the fashion scene right now. You know, it goes through things so, you know, at one point it was um, a lot of uh, the Asian American designers, um, who are still wonderful, uh, and then it became you know the Isabel Marant, Ulla Johnson again, still hugely popular. But I feel right now it's these Scandinavian lines that so are taking too. on. It's the Ghani and um, you know those kind of brands that mm-hmm. we haven't seen here, and they're not so saturated. And I think that's another thing is not. Um, this may be an interesting point too, just to divert really quick about um, exposure is. You know, I've built my business on the mom and pop specialty stores. Um, and I think coming from a retail family, I, I have the sensitivity of over-distributing. We have worked with department stores in the past. We currently do not. Um, I think the specialty stores really appreciate that because they're not competing with department store pricing. Uh, so that is something about our brand, too, that while, you know, we may not be a household name um, because we're not as saturated in department stores Um the specialty stores and the people outside of major metropolitan areas where there are a lot of independent stores will know the brand, will know us.
1: Can you tell me more about growing up in a retail family and how that has influenced you? Sure. I, um, you know, again, having my Grandfather,
0: when he came from Poland, uh, started um, with a wheelbarrow and selling pots and pans and so forth. Then it turned into furniture. And my parents had a furniture store in Charleston called Morris Soko Furniture. And they uh, had the store for 94 years, my family did. And they, you know, just like every other city, Charleston's become hugely popular. And my parents, um, at the time, in the 80, in their 80s, and it was time to retire. Unfortunately, none of the siblings wanted to take the business over. Um, so the business uh, was sold, and the building was sold. But um, growing up in that environment, it's all I knew, you know. And um, I think it just gets ingrained in you. And I think also from part of our reputation from a business standpoint is – that I come from a retail family. So I treat my accounts and my stores, my customers from a wholesale side. Um, you know, I have that experience of, of being a retailer mm-hmm. and um, lots of dinner conversations about how vendors treat their customers and so forth. So it really mm-hmm. definitely needs to be a mutually beneficial relationship. It can't be one-sided. What's one tip that you got from your parents? Oh, I would say being honest and shooting straight. And Mm -hmm. I think that always will serve you well. I mean, Mm -hmm. we just had this conversation in the office today about a topic. And at the end of the day, if you're a straight shooter and consider it, you're going to always end up on top. So
1: I'm going to jump around a little bit because um, I am wondering if there's anything that you do in terms of your designs to confront the biases in the ind- industry towards certain body types um, or beauty aesthetics? Mm-hmm. Uh, you
0: know, P as a brand, you know, again, I, I can cater to anyone uh, really of all ages. Um, our sizing is extra small to extra large. We, we do fit a really broad range of body types and sizes. And I think that because we are not a true contemporary brand, meaning we're not going after that 22 year old, um, you know, we'd love to have her when she's a little older, um, but not everybody's perfect. So we try to do necklines that are flattering, that you don't have to layer something under, um, making sure it's appropriate for all ages. Now we've started to push the envelope a little and we'll do spaghetti straps where we used to never do spaghetti straps. And, um, but we're conscious of having uh, styles that flatter a woman's body without flaunting. And even as you know, the trend is starting to go a little bit more fitted, we're getting a lot of requests for more fitted. But there's a difference between fitted and almost you know, something you would not want your daughter wearing. hmm mm-hmm.
1: okay. So because you have so much experience in the clothing industry, I would love to hear your thoughts on young folks who might want to open their own business and whether you think that New York is the place to do it. What tips would you have for them? Would you open your own business again today? Good questions. Um, It's interesting. I have a group of high school students from Atlanta,
0: and then there's a group of college students um, from the West Coast that come through every year. And I love sharing my experience because I wish I had had someone to ask questions. And again, coming from the South, I don't even know if I had someone, if I would have really pushed and asked. Um, But I tell all these younger students, I said, you know, network do that internship that your parents keep telling you to do i mean i, I think back and my parents were like do some internships do you know And i just wanted to stay in college and work at the clothing store which helped too um but i think it's so important to ask questions even if the internship is a three-day internship it's more exposure than you'll have by not doing it um and i think it's really important to work for other people first uh, there are many times i think if i had worked for another apparel brand um, such as mine. Uh, I probably would have had a little bit more know-how, but luckily um, you know, my husband and business partner comes from the finance side and we balance each other off really well. Mm-hmm. Um, we have very different strengths. And um, a lot of what I've done, I figured it out. I think I got a lucky in many cases, but uh, it's just really taking a leap of faith not all decisions are good decisions. I've had many learning experiences. Would I start the business today? I think so. I, I do. I. It's a tricky time right now to start a business, but I think you can always test markets, and you'll know when it's right. You just have that feeling, and you'll you know every no is closer to a yes, and you have to try. You know,
1: there's no failure in trying. Mm-hmm. What does market testing look like?
0: Ooh, I guess it depends on what you're doing. Um, You know, a tricky part about my business is it's very hard, and this is something um, I'm always curious about with smaller designers, it's very hard to find people that will make small runs. So small quantities. That's something we, even a business my size, runs into at times. So again, it's relationship-driven, finding, you know, factories that will produce smaller runs so you're not sitting on tons of inventory because the world doesn't need a surplus of excess stock sitting there. We have enough as it is, but just finding someone who, you know, might know more than you that's willing to take you under their, their wing. And, you know, a lot of that comes from potential internships, someone that can introduce you to the right person and just getting, getting yourself out there.
1: All right. That was great. Great. Good first podcast. You did it. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Ellie Cody,
2: and this has been an interview by Manhattan Sideways. If you'd like to learn more about this particular business or to discover and read about thousands of other fascinating small businesses on the side streets of Manhattan, please visit our website, sideways.nyc, and of course follow us on Instagram and Facebook, at NYSideways.